Hey everyone, how you doing? This is Amon Green, Green Bay Packers all-time leading rusher, and you're listening to The Average Cheese, hosted by Dell and Todd, two lifelong Packer fans talking about their favorite team, the 13-time champion, Green Bay Packers. Go Pack Go! Welcome to episode 114 of the Average Cheese Podcast. I'm Dale Lopen. Peter is here with me. No, Todd. How are you today? This evening, yeah, this doing, morning. This morning. This morning. I'm doing, yeah, I'm doing, I'm doing pretty good. Although I had the weirdest dream. So I wasn't too well, as you know, this time last week. And then I had the weirdest dream. I got fired from the Average Cheese. <laughs> that ain't happening. And I don't know why. I can only assume I swore too much or something. Yeah, or not either way. <laughs> you thought it was an imposter or something. I don't know. But yeah, what, other, you, other than that, I'm doing fine. Good. Well, welcome back <laughs> from your short firing hiatus. <laughs> thanks to Rhonda and the folks at RM Management. Thanks to Dwight at ddgcustoms.com. And thanks to Dan and the folks at Bob Anderson Builders. Peter, it is episode 114 so there's a number 14 out there who is it it can only be in my opinion and i'm biased but the, the great the greatest packer of them all don hudson and possibly the greatest receiver that ever played i know that some would argue it's jerry rice and i won't disagree with that but certainly is in that conversation with jerry rice and i think with don hudson you have to put his career like you do all players, but you have to put his career in the perspective of the era in which he played. There's lots and lots, obviously, to talk about with Don Hudson. But if you just start with some numbers, you know, he led the NFL in receiving eight times in the 11 years in which he played. Led the NFL in receiving yards eight times. Led the NFL in um, receiving touchdowns nine times. And this is in the 11 seasons in which he played. And when he retired, he four, had 488 catches. The next closest guy in NFL history had 190. So Hudson was two and a half times higher than the next closest guy. So I don't know who the next closest guy was when Jerry Rice retired, but that guy would have had a thousand and something. That means Jerry Rice would have had to have two and a half thousand to have that same right. difference level. Just one of the truly great players from all of the teams ever. And it's a great story. Played a little bit of football, came from Arkansas, played a little bit of football in high school in Arkansas, but but baseball and basketball were his sports. He got a partial baseball scholar, scholarship from Alabama and went to Alabama, started playing more football. And he played one end and Bear Bryant played the other end. Oh, really? That's <laughs> yeah. awesome. Famously had a breakout season in his senior season at Alabama, and Curly Lambeau went to scout the Rose Bowl, the 1935 January 1st Rose Bowl. Hudson was playing, had a huge game, more than 100 yards receiving, two huge touchdowns. And it was that point that uh, wow. Lambeau decided that Hudson had to be a, had to be a Packer. 
And of course, this is pre the draft. So the draft didn't come until the following year. And this is where one of the great stories around Hudson exists. Whether it's a myth or not, there's a possibility that this story is a myth because some of the evidence doesn't necessarily exist. Hudson was signed by the Packers and by the Brooklyn Dodgers to play football. And both of those contracts went to the NFL. Now, why somebody would sign two contracts, who knows? <laughs> both of those contracts went to the NFL and, and the commissioner at the time decided that he should be a Packer because the Packers, the envelope was date and time stamped 17 minutes earlier than the one that he received from the from the Dodgers. Whether that's a true story, it's, been a, it's a story that's talked about a lot, but the envelopes don't exist, or one of them doesn't exist. So whether, so whether that's a true story or not, Lambeau was great in creating and kind of expanding stories. Anyway, you know, Hudson became a, a Packer. 1935 was his first year. Immediately became the highest paid player in the NFL. So $300 a game, Hudson was paid. And and another another story there that um, Lambeau didn't want people to know how much he was paying Hudson. So there were two banks in Green Bay at the time, and I, I don't know the names of the banks, but Hudson was paid $150 on a check from both of those two banks to try and... <laughs> Make so. him look like he wasn't making as much money. <laughs> Absolutely. So immediately became the NFL's highest highest paid player i probably should say in 1935 in his second game and again this is another one of those myths that's kind of grown over the years that it was his first game but it was his second game he caught an 83 yard touchdown from arnie herber on the first play of the game against against the bears and that was his his first hudson's first catch and his first touchdown and packers won that game seven nothing then 1936 the packers won the championship and they'd win the championship again with hudson playing in 39 and 44 catching passes from Arnie Herber and then Cecil Isbell. By the early 1940s, he was you know, clearly the top player in, in, in the NFL and became the only receiver, and I think we've talked about this before, became the only receiver in NFL history to win the MVP and did it twice in 41 and 42. 42 became the NFL's first 1,000-yard receiver, catching passes for 1,200-plus yards in the same year that Cecil Isbell became the first 2,000-yard passer. And it was just record after after record after after record. And you know, we talk about guys today threatening to retire each year. Hudson was like that towards the end of his career. And I think part of that was because he actually preferred playing basketball than he did to play football. He talks about that in his later life. He liked to watch football more than watching basketball, but he liked to play basketball more than he more than he did wow. football. Just somebody to get super enthusiastic about. Like I say, for me, the greatest, the greatest packer of them all is the numbers speak for themselves, especially when you consider the era in which he played. Played 11 years for the Packers, 35 to 45. We haven't mentioned the 99 touchdown receptions that he had. You know, a record that lasted all the way through to Steve Largent breaking it in the late 1980s. It's a record that stood for best part of 45 years. Things like that just absolutely incredible and of course he played both ways so he played defense as well as as well as offense played half his career at defensive end can you imagine that today? defensive end going out to catch passes (laughs) (laughs) and then and then the other half of his career at safety 30 interceptions from 1940 to 45 in those six years and a number before interceptions became an official stat 
you know, from 35 to 39. So closer to 40 career interceptions at least. What else can you say about Mr. Packer? Truly, truly is. And, you know, he's to this day, he's kind of spoken about in almost reverent terms and absolutely should be. There are probably guys in the hall as a defensive back or as a safety who have less interceptions yeah. than Don Hudson had. Yep, yeah, absolutely. To do both, you know, you're not coming off the field. You're playing six, 60 minutes. Oh, and by the way, he kicked field goals and extra points. <laughs> something that he something that he never did in in high college. school or college, and then did it did it for the Packers. You know, it's 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 absolutely incredible. incredible. And there's a famous picture of him from the time he retired with a number of footballs, like 18 footballs all around him. Each one of those footballs represented an NFL record that he held at the time of his retirement, whether it's receptions, yards, receiving touchdowns, overall touchdowns, et cetera, et cetera. I got to try to find Do you think that picture exists on the internet? Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's quite famous. That's going to have to be the picture for this episode, right? The other thing that is interesting to me that you said was, I guess I didn't realize when the draft started. I never looked back that far. But imagine if Don Hudson would have graduated from Alabama in 1936. Because I wonder then, do the Packers win all those championships? Do you know what I mean? Like, there's, he was such a dominant player. The Packers wouldn't, were they the worst team? No. So they wouldn't have gotten Don Hudson. Someone else would have drafted him. And who knows what would have happened from there. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, you know, the, the Packers had the what the seventh the seventh pick in the nineteen thirty six draft, the first draft, and and, and Russ Letlow was the first Packer to be drafted. But yeah, those six teams that picked above them, probably one of them would have taken him. It's nice to get to a good number. Yeah, uh, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely great. The greatest number of them all, and of course, his number is re- retired. Um, was a charter member of the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and all and all of that stuff. And Lombardi didn't give out 14 to some scrub? <laughs> Not that I know of, no. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So episode 114, Don Hudson episode, is going to be mostly us grading the rookie class of 2022. So we're going to start with Way Walker, Todd's favorite Packer. <laughs> First round pick of the Packers, selection 22. When he was drafted, we sat there. We were kind of surprised, right? We were kind of surprised at the pick of Quay Walker. You know, we were like, okay, because there were two linebackers from Georgia. We didn't think this would be our guy. Remind us why we drafted Quay Walker. As you look back, would you have drafted Quay Walker in the first round, no matter what the pick, the Wyatt pick or the Quay, you know, the 22 pick here? Would you have drafted Quay Walker? I probably wouldn't have done. I think I would have played the draft differently so that they didn't get in a position where they had to trade away one of their second round picks. I felt at the time, and I don't now know this to be the case, and we didn't know this to be the case at the time, but I felt at the time that there was a decent chance that Quay Walker would have dropped to their one of their second round picks. And you have said that before. Yeah, and I certainly thought at the time that he was a second round guy. Now, that's not to say that he wouldn't have gone at pick 40 well before the Packers picked. But but sure. you kind of I kind of felt that he most likely would have dropped to one of the Packers picks. But it only takes one team. So you so you can't be I felt that kind of value wise somewhere in the second round was was about right based on that athleticism and RAS score that you that you talked about. 
I think it's difficult, and you know, we're going to talk about you know another Georgia player in a little while. I think it was difficult to judge those Georgia players because there were so many good ones. And when you're playing alongside so many good ones, it can be quite difficult to work out whether whether you're productive, for example, as a linebacker at Georgia because that defensive line was so good and still being good again this year. So it's, so it's quite difficult to, to judge that. But absolutely, I didn't feel that he was a huge production guy in college. Um, but absolutely had the athletic ability, the RAS score, all of those things that you look for that say, actually, he's got a chance and got a good chance with those athletic skills. So as you look at Quay Walker, what positive or positives do you see in him going forward that make you happy that the Packers drafted him? So I think it's that athletic ability, right, and the ability to get all over the field. He got better in pass coverage as the year went on. I don't know whether the numbers support that, but that's what it looked like. And I thought that he was better in pass coverage by the time the year ended than I thought he would be. So that, for me, was was absolutely a positive. I think that, again, probably the same in playing the run. I think he got better as the year went on. And I think his ability playing the run when he can move in space, the ability to get from sideline to sideline, I think all of those things are huge positives. He's only going to get better. He's a young guy. He's only going to get better, which which for me is a positive. And I think it's I think it's easier to teach an athletic guy with already good skills than it is probably the reverse. Because you can never, typically, never make somebody more athletic than they already are. They either are or they're, or they're not kind of thing. Well, if I look at his PFF grades, it does show, in general, that his coverage numbers have gotten better from beginning of season to end of season, minus that abysmal game in Detroit at the end. If you take the Detroit yeah. game out, he had some clunkers, but he's also had some nice games. So, in general, the trend is that his coverage has gotten better, according to PFF. Again, his run defense, too, which hasn't been great. He's had some really, really bad games. But his run defense numbers overall have improved as the season progressed. Again, minus the last game where I guess he just was just had a poor game all around. I think the things that make me worry a tiny bit are he was very inconsistent. Very good in some games and very not very good in others. I mean, get, that comes with being a rookie, possibly. And hopefully he can become more consistent over time. Now, that may come over time because sometimes young guys try to overdo it. They try to play outside of their role and they try to make big plays. Maybe that's it. Maybe it's not. In retrospect, for me, I don't mind the Quay Walker pick. He doesn't look like a bust. Yeah. There are guys no. in the NFL, if we went from 1 to 32, you can look at that guy and go, he's probably going to be a bust. Yeah. I don't think that's the case with Quay Walker. So let's finish it off here. Do you want to give him a grade first or you want me to go first? I'll let you go first. Okay. I think Quay Walker is a B minus. I don't want to give him a C. He's better against the run than I expected. I'm in the same area. I was kind of stuck between is it a C plus or a B minus? I think it's a B minus. And, and I think any time you have a rookie that comes in and starts every game and puts up good numbers, B-minus works for me. Devontae Wyatt, also a first-rounder, didn't get a ton of time, 
until late in the season. It feels like a lost season, certainly until, like you say, the last the last few games. It, it flashed occasionally before that, but it's so difficult to even, I think, and we haven't even got that far, to think to put a grade on, on that because he wasn't on the field. And it wasn't always clear why he wasn't on the field. You know, they didn't talk a lot that he had this injury or or that injury, or there was this underlying whatever whatever it might be. Yeah, I think it's extremely difficult to to grade Devontae White, and it surprises me. It maybe it sh- maybe it shouldn't, but you know, if I if I go back to probably the feeling that I had when he was drafted, I thought that's a nice pick, and I would have been happy if he'd been taken at the twenty second pick where they, where they took Quay Walker. So I thought that was a nice pick. It was a pick at a position of need. It was a guy that I thought at the time that that was going to plug and play. So I guess from that perspective, I was disappointed, and, and maybe I was over-expectant. You know, we always have to remember how difficult it can be for any player to come in and adjust to the NFL. I just didn't see enough of him to be to be to be perfectly honest. To 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 feel like you could almost put a fair grade on on what he did do. Well, he didn't get a ton of snaps. Like those first six games. I don't want to say I hope he was injured, but I hope he was injured because yeah. you didn't get a chance to see him. Dean Lowry got a ton of snaps. I get he's a veteran. You're looking to win a Super Bowl at that point in the beginning of the season. So you want guys that can go out there and produce. So Devontae White maybe got seven, ten, five snaps in a game. And a lot of those, I think, were on special teams in the beginning of the season. He just didn't get a ton of snaps. And then all of a sudden he did. For whatever reason, the Packers staff, the defensive staff, started putting him in games more. The last three games of the season, he averaged probably 25 to 30 snaps per game. The game against Detroit, he looked like a guy, we were like, why isn't this man played more snaps? That's all I thought was, why didn't he play more? But then when I looked through the PFF grades, Peter, against Philadelphia, he played 20 snaps. He was in the red for every PFF category. So maybe that's why. Maybe he just wasn't ready yet. He hadn't figured things out, quote unquote. Are you still okay with that draft pick? Are you, uh, we want to keep yeah, no, I th- I, I, no, I think I, I think I'm still okay with it. Needed help on the defensive line. Um, somebody to play alongside Kenny Clark. And I think that the hope is that, you know, going into his second season in 2023, you know, he's going to take a, take a step or a number of steps forward. And I'm still OK with it because I, I, I just think that you have to give these these guys a chance to develop. I don't get the feeling in any way that he's a bust. And I don't know why for a guy that's hardly played, but I don't have that feeling. I just feel, I, I just have the feeling that he's been slow to develop and he's going to start to break out in 2023. He needs to, right? Because this is not a 20 yeah. year old kid. Yeah. Like he'll be 25 next season. And I'm not saying that's old by any means, but your window to prove to the Packers that you can play the position isn't that long because your rookie contract is going to run out and he's going to be, what, 28 years old. So he's on the, like, I need to, my second contract might be my last contract in the NFL because of his age. You don't have to give him a grade if you don't want, but I'm going to give him a grade. Uh, I think he's a C minus. I don't think that it's, because it's not fair to give him a grade on his limited snaps, you have to give him a grade on the games he did play significant snaps in, in my mind. He was okay in some and really bad in others. So that's where I come up with my C-. minus. He is the left or the right defensive end next year. 
It's that simple. They're not bringing Dean Lowry back on any kind of contract unless they go out and sign some veteran. I think he's the guy. It's his time to shine. Christian Watson, pick 34. And we talked about before, the, during that draft thing, when we were talking to each other during the draft, we're like, the Packers need to move up and get a wide receiver right now because there isn't much left because so many guys were drafted in the first round last year. You had to go up and get Christian Watson, and they did. Traded a pick for him. Thoughts on Christian Watson? Just to continue that theme, I think once it got to round two, I think they absolutely made the right move. They had to go up and get the wide receiver that they that they wanted. So they had to give up whatever they had to give up, which in this instance was the other second round draft pick. It isn't the order that I would have played things. You know, if Watson was their guy, preferably I would have gone Wyatt, Watson and, and hoped that Walker dropped. That's just me. And it's easy in, in hindsight, you don't know what's going to happen. But yeah, they absolutely had to make that move. Watson's season, he had the injury in preseason, which we don't know what would have happened if he hadn't had that injury. He was then slow to develop. Everybody talks about the dropped pass on the first play, pretty much the first play of the first game, but that stuff happens. I'm not. There's no need, I, th- I think, for anybody to, to dwell on that. And then I think it almost became a season of two halves, where the first half of the season was almost no production at all. And a lot of that was due to, appeared to be due to injury, lots of niggling injuries, couldn't get on the field, was only on the field for a few plays here and there. And I think as a rookie... You need to be playing, right? So you need to be developing and you need to be out there snap after snap. And so it really did become a a season of two halves, where in the second half of the season, when he had that breakout game and caught all those touchdown passes in the one game, and then after that, the second half of the season really, really took off. If you take the second half of the season when he was, as far as we could tell, as fully fit as he was going to be, and then you project that into what could that be in 2023, I think it's really exciting. He's the first receiver of the type that reminds you of James Lofton, that type of receiver, and the ability to carry the football as well, you know, on jet sweeps and those kind of things. They are super, super excited to see what he's going to do in 2023, regardless of who's playing quarterback. He started to get a rapport, obviously, with Rodgers. And I think if if it's not Rodgers, if it's Jordan Love, then he's going to be key for Jordan Love. So I think it's going to be really, really exciting to see to see what he does next year. If you look at his first half of the season up to week nine, he had maybe 12 targets in those nine weeks. I mean, granted, he was out for a bunch of weeks, right? So I don't think he played like weeks five, six, and seven. I don't remember exactly. But after that, felt like that breakout game where he had the three touchdowns, it just felt like after that, Aaron Rodgers had confidence to throw Christian Watson the football. And not that he sought him out like he did Devontae Adams, where Devontae Adams was going to catch 15 balls a game, but it felt like he was trying to feed the ball to Christian Watson which is good because you don't have any other playmakers in that wide receiving core besides Christian Watson. So it made sense from the beginning, but you also have to prove as that rookie that you can play if he can stay healthy. And that's a big if for a lot of players, but if he can stay healthy, he might be the most talented player we've had physically gifted player. We've had in a very long time. So let's give him a grade also. Christian Watson. I just realized all three guys, their last name starts with the letter W. <laughs> Your turn. 
Yeah, so so this is quite a difficult one because because like I said, it's a season. It's a season of two halves. I think this is a B for me. I think he flashed enough, more than flashed enough in that. Flashed isn't even the right word, but I'm going to use it anyway. In that second half of the season, kind of projected that over a whole season, you got easily a thousand yard receiver on eighty catches or whatever it would be. So yeah, I, a, a B with huge amounts of potential to be much better than that. I will also give him a B. 41 catches for 611 yards in essentially 11 games. I mean, he played in 14, but he didn't get a whole lot of time in the beginning of the season. Can't wait to watch him next year. Again, regardless of the quarterback, he's going to be a dynamic player, hopefully for many years. Sean Ryan. So, again, the Packers should just give up all their third-round picks until the end of time and not pick anybody in the third round. There is nothing to talk about. He played in one game, and I don't think it was even an offensive – I'm not sure if he played on offense or not, but he was suspended for PEDs. And I remember in the preseason thinking, this guy looks overmatched out there. He scares me, if I'm being honest. Can we just give him an F? Do we give him an incomplete? <laughs> like, I don't know what to do there. He's a third-round pick, and you would expect a third-round pick to be playing? Royce Newman yeah. was a fourth-round pick. Zach Tom played. Yash Nyman is a restricted free agent or was a free agent pickup. Runyon was a sixth-round pick. Bakhtiari was, what, a fourth? No. Myers was a second. So there's a variety there. My point is, as a third-round pick, you're expected to do something at least challenge for a starting spot. And he never challenged for a starting spot. And, and he was one of those guys that I thought that third round was about the right place based on what he did in college. You know, he played predominantly tackle. I think maybe even tackle all the time in college, but certainly was predominantly a, a tackle at UCLA. But looked like one of those guys, based on some of his athletic stuff, that would move inside in the pros, but he kind of felt like, yeah, he's not going to come in and be an immediate starter, probably, but you would you would think he's going to make the 53, he's going to be your, I don't know, seventh or eighth offensive lineman, and then he's going to start to push Royce Newman or whoever the, the guy at right guard was, and, and none of that happened. Disappointing. Maybe he'll bounce back. I agree with you. There isn't really a grade you can, you can give a guy that doesn't play. I'm giving play. him an F. Okay. You don't have to give him a grade. (laughs) The PEDs are a bit of a concern because you wonder if is that what got him drafted in the third round? And now he's going to be that, I don't want to call him Tony Mandridge because it's a different thing. But Joe's saying, like, did he bulk up, be more athletic in college to get drafted in the third round? And now he's not going to be that guy? Like, we got the best version of him in college, and now he's not going to be as good in the pros. I don't know. But I'll give him an F. Are you giving him a no grade? Yeah. All right. Next up is Romeo Dobbs, wide receiver out of Nevada. Kind of started off gangbusters, right? Like, wow, he's going to be. And we talked about how he might be better initially than Christian Watson. We yeah. talked about that before the season started, which makes me think that you thought he was a more pro-ready wide receiver than Watson out of the gate. Am I putting words in your mouth or is that – I think that's exactly right. And I think if you go back and look at him in college, he played a lot in college, caught a lot of passes in college at Nevada. And, and he just looked like a guy. 
he didn't look like a guy that was going to um, stretch the field, if you like, like Christian Watson gives you that capability to do. But he looked like a guy that was going to catch a lot of passes thrown in his direction, had a nice catch radius, was just a guy that was, was going to be productive straight away. He did get hurt. I missed maybe five or six games in the middle of the season. Came back at the end. Wasn't the primary wide receiver at that point, kind of took a second fiddle to Watson. So there, you didn't see as a, lot, a lot of production out of him at the end. But in the beginning of the season, he was pretty good. I have to remember, he is a fourth round pick. So yeah, I have to temper my grades for that, right? Like their expectations aren't quite as high. I mean, he ended his season with 42 catches, more than Christian Watson. Now, He's going to be more of a possession guy than Watson, right? He's not a home run hitter. Even though in college, every highlight you saw was him running down the seam. It's not really fair. Plus, he was in the, what is it? the What do they call that conference? The Big West or whatever it is. The So it's not the same competition level. But 42 catches, 425 yards, three touchdowns. Mountain West used Mountain to be the Big West. West. Mountain. Used to be the Big West when we were kids, but yeah. Yeah, how old am I? <laughs> Jesus Christ. My grade for Romeo Dobbs is a B minus. It's probably unfair because maybe I'm comparing him to Watson here and I shouldn't be. He did have some drop issues, as Todd seemed to mention every time Romeo Dobbs dropped the football this year. Todd mentioned that. He's probably not going to get you 80 catches in a season. He's probably going to max out somewhere. But this season, grading him on this season, I thought he was pretty good. I think that's what makes it difficult, isn't it? Because you tend to to end up with what were your final impressions. And because most of his production came in the first half of the season and then had a, you know, his ankle and, and, and all of that kind of thing and missed four games. And I think he caught some passes against the Rams, if I remember right, in the, in the game the Packers won there towards the end of the season. But most of his production came early in the year. You know, it felt for a period like he was almost wide receiver one in those early six, seven games of the season. When you look at the fourth round pick to be that productive, B minus. Yeah, I will, I will go along with that. Zach Tom, probably one of your, your guys, right? Like you always are able to look down the draft and find guys and, think, and, and pick them out. Like this is going to be an NFL player. You were very happy when the Packers picked Zach Tom. And you have said over and over again, He's a center. Now, the Packers never played him at center. Thoughts on Zach yeah. Tom? I just felt that, and you have to be careful when you, when, you, when you start looking at guys for the draft. There's a tendency just to look at their senior year. And I saw lots of people do that with um, Justin Jefferson, right? And he played almost predominantly from the slot in his, in his senior year. And lots of people were talking about him being a slot receiver. But if you go back the year before that, Jefferson lined up wide and was very productive. And the same with Zach Tom. He was, he was good in his last two years, very good in his last two years, playing out at left tackle at Wake Forest. But if you go and look at his sophomore year at Wake Forest when he played centre for me, I thought that was his best year. I still believe that right now, from what we've seen, and we've not seen him play centre, but from what we've seen, I still think that centre is possibly his best position. Having said that, I mean, he did an excellent job wherever they slotted him in. You know, he played left tackle, which is an extremely difficult place to go and play. Played left tackle, played guard, played some right tackle. Big plus for the Packers was that they could slot him in and he did a very fine job wherever they put him. Personally believe that center is where his future lies. Even at the size he's at right now, 6'4", 304. 
Yeah, I mean, the, what was what we're beginning to see? You, you never used to see six four or six five centers. That's you know, true. You, you never used to see those guys, but you're seeing a lot more of them. For me, at just over three hundred pounds, that's certainly too light to play right tackle permanently. And it, and for me, it's too light to play left tackle in today's NFL. I th- just think he fits the mold for a center perfectly, and he's a nice athlete. Runs the forty in under five seconds. Did everything well in 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 the short space stuff, the shuttle, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, at the combine. If you take out Zach Tom's first game, he played left guard after the injuries happened against the Vikings in week one. So the Packers threw him out there. They thought he was the best option when Jenkins wasn't back at left guard. He played poorly in that game. But if you take out that game, pass blocking wise, he probably averaged in the 80s for a PFF grade. That's very high for a young kid playing out of position not only playing out of position, but having to jump between left tackle and right tackle. He did have a poor game against Detroit, but everybody had a bad game against Detroit in that last game, so it's really hard to say that. I thought he was better at run blocking, and I know during the season I said, wow, I think that he does some things in the run blocking scheme. He's athletic enough to get out in space, get to the second level. I'm not walking back from that. I think that maybe that's what I was seeing because if you look at PFF, his run blocking grades were lower than his pass blocking grades. He's got some work to do there, but I think if the Packers are running that zone scheme, you want athletes like Zach Tom, wherever he ends up, because that man is going to get his feet moving and he's going to, he's more athletic than the guy he's in front of. I don't know where he ends up. You're the expert on that. I just think that the man has to be on that line somewhere when the Packers start play in 2023. Grades for Zach Tom. The only thing that, yeah, the, the occasional bad game, but I think I think the, the main thing you throw out that knocks his grade down was that he only started, I, I don't know how many, five games maybe? Um, he only played in half the games. Right. So, so he was in front of me. Yeah. So he wasn't a full time player, but he was good when he played. B minus. That's your guy, though. I thought you'd give him a better grade than that. So you're but trying to be subjective. No, you're trying to be objective, <laughs> not subjective. I mean, I love Zach Tom, and I think he's going to be a good football player wherever he ends up. I, I, the, just the thing that really knocks him down for me was that he didn't play as much as a guy like Quay Walker that started every game. I'm going to give him a B plus. I almost gave him an A minus, but I think that when you said you reminded me that he didn't start every game or even close to every game. So he was a backup and he was brought in on an as needed basis. It's hard to give an A grade to a guy who isn't starting for you, regardless of where he is drafted. Next, JJ Kingsley and Egg Bar, if I'm trying to get it right, South Carolina, fifth round pick, dropped very far to the Packers for whatever reason. I remember that that was a name that kept coming up too. Like, why is this kid dropping so far? After you've watched J.J. play for an entire year, what do you think the reason was that he dropped so far? No idea. Still to this day, you know, you you kind of expect when a guy drops like that, that a story comes out the next day, he was injured, or this had happened, or or that had happened. Yeah, character issue, something. Yeah, none of that at least surfaced to my knowledge. Then there was nothing in in his play, albeit, you know, the playing time was again limited, especially before Gary got injured. But there was nothing in his play that said, ah, now I know why he was 
he dropped this far. It was just one of those guys that you couldn't believe was dropping, and it's like, pick him, pick him, pick him, Packers pick him. And eventually that they, they did. No idea why he dropped that far. Almost a season of, of two halves, not as stark a contrast, I think, as, as say, Christian Watson's was or Romeo Dobbs was, but, but you felt like this was a guy that got better and better as the season went on. And maybe that's because we saw more of him because Gary was, you know, injured mid-season. I don't know what he what he ended up with three sacks or but a number of pressures. And he, yeah, I thought I thought he I thought he did okay. Probably what I would have expected. I mean, he played in every game as a fifth round pick. He got four snaps in the Chicago game in week two. That was the least amount of snaps he got in a game. While he didn't start every game, he played significant snaps. From like week five on, he was a rotational guy. He wasn't like coming in every 10th play. He didn't sack the quarterback a lot, but he did have more pressure. He feels like a more raw, maybe not as talented Rashawn Gary to me. I like the way he plays. Yeah. You know, I, I don't think that he played really poorly in any game. Like, he didn't seem overmatched. And I guess when you're looking at fifth-round picks like he is, you got to take that into consideration, too. I'll give him a B as a okay. fifth-round pick. I think he played pretty well. I was going to give him a C plus. Okay. Um, because I, I had a high expectation of him before the draft. Yeah. Albeit, albeit like we say, he dropped, he dropped a lot further than we thought. I thought he was solid. Shows a lot of potential for the future. And the Packers did not have a six-round pick, but they had four seventh-round picks, the first of which is Tariq Carpenter. Tariq Carpenter had a really nice RAS score, has a great safety body. Like, if you were going to mold out the safety body, I think that he would be – he's it, right? He's in like 6'4", 230-something in that. I'm totally guessing right now. I don't know that's that's actually the case. But I feel like if you were going to script a guy, that would be it. Now, he didn't do anything. He played in three games for the Packers this year. He actually played some safety. 6'3", 230. Sorry, that's how big he is. I had to look it up because I felt like I was talking out of my ass right there. It's the first time I think I swore the whole time. Sorry, 25 cents for veteran <laughs> outreach. Your thoughts on Tariq Carpenter? Can we even discuss him? It's a little tough to do on a guy that hasn't played that much. Played predominantly on special teams. Right. I think, you know, seventh round was, yeah, I thought I thought he would be a late round pick. I thought he was a guy that was a tweener between safety and linebacker. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but his, his 40 speed was less than 4.5. He was slower oh, than 4.5. Oh, it was? Five. I didn't know that. A tall guy, as you said, 6'3", 6'4", whatever that number is. And he just was one of those guys that takes a while, if you like, to, to get, get going. Yeah, like you. I mean, he, did, he didn't he didn't play that much other other than on special teams. I think he contributed well on special teams. But I think in today's NFL, I don't think you can you you have to have particularly like the safety spot on most downs. You're playing five or six defensive backs. You're certainly playing five. You would expect your ninth defensive back, if he if he was that, to play more on defense. You're going to use those guys more and we didn't see him on on defense so I don't I don't quite know what they have in Tariq Carpenter to be honest I like him more as a, as a linebacker I think he's 
more suited to that in terms of athletic ability, but I don't know that, that they think that. I'm sure they don't. Tariq Carpenter played 120 snaps on special teams this year. Of those 120 snaps, he had seven tackles. Is that good? It doesn't seem like it's good. I don't know what the ratio of plays to tackles should be, but he never stood out on special teams. For a guy that's big enough to run down the field, and I don't want to, again, if he's four or five speed, then I'm, I'm overestimating what I thought he was as an athlete. But I kind of, I expected more. I know that's unfair as a seventh round pick to expect more out of a seventh round pick. But I just saw this guy as like, this guy can be a special teams guy for the Packers. Wrong. The Packers could go into this, into this draft and pick another guy. And Tariq Carpenter could be gone. So I am going to give him a grade. I'm going to give him a D minus. I don't know. I just feel like he should be better than he is. And that's where the that's where his grade is coming from. I would have said a D on the basis that he was a seventh rounder, but I just don't think we know what what they have in him in terms of a defensive player, and I'm not sure that that they do right now. Jonathan Ford, seventh round pick. He played no defensive snaps. We can't say anything about Jonathan Ford, right? That's an incomplete. I don't see him making the roster, to be honest. Again, this is yeah. another guy. I mean, he did well to make the roster simply because he was behind Kenny Clark and, and TJ Slayton. So right. to make the roster as the third nose tackle, if you like, I think was quite an achievement in in, in itself, which meant that they must have thought enough of him to keep three, well, in essence, were pure nose tackles. I know you can move Kenny Clark around, but in sure. essence, they kept three pure nose tackles. So they must have thought enough of him to do that. Big for a nose tackle, yeah. You know, the weight 330 plus, which is kind of what you hope for in this day and age. But he's 6'4", 6'5". He's a big, big, big man. guy. Yeah. Yeah. Clearly didn't show them enough to to make an impact defensively, but he, he showed enough to make the final 53 as a third pure nose tackle. So that gives me a little bit of, he's certainly going to compete again in, in camp. And it gives me a little bit of hope, if you like, that the Packers see something in, in him. Pick number 9,000 in the seventh round, Rashid <laughs> Walker out of Penn State. Yeah, he's another one of those guys. absolutely loved the pick because like like J.J. Enigbara, I thought Walker would go higher. Again, you know, nothing kind of came out afterwards to say why he dropped to the seventh round. I thought he would go fourth or fifth, I think, if my memory serves, serves me correctly. I think I was surprised that he dropped two or three rounds lower than, than I kind of thought he would. I hardly saw any action, maybe in one game or two games. Hardly saw he any. played in one game, yeah. I guess it's difficult when you think of the Packers are stacked on the offensive line. You think, you think of the starters and then, you, and then you throw in the likes of Zach, Tom, etc. And, and, and the Packers are pretty stacked for body. Royce, Royce Newman, they're pretty stacked for body. So I think opportunities are pretty slim on that roster unless you immediately show something special. So, so I think his opportunities were limited. But doesn't that also say, I mean, it's not like there's pro bowlers all over the Packers line. I mean, there's two of them, Bakhtiari and Jenkins. My expectations of Rasheed Walker were kind of high for a seventh round pick. Usually it's a throwaway pick, but that's a guy you think, man, he's still out there. We need to just take him and see what we get. We'll talk about Yash Nyman and whether he comes back as the right tackle next year as a restricted free agent or whatnot. There is opportunity 
for Rasheed Walker going forward at the right tackle position. Incomplete. Yep. And we're going to do this all over again next year, right? Because the Packers have four seventh-round picks, I think, again <laughs> this year. Yeah. Who won't Something see like the that. field, or maybe they'll be cut, and then we won't have to talk about them. And the final pick, Samari Toure, wide receiver, played at Nebraska. Where else did he play? Did he play somewhere? Montana? No. He certainly Mont- did play at Montana. Yeah, no, yeah. No, you're right. Okay. He did play at Montana. Another one of those schools that was in the Big Sky Conference. But yeah, another guy that we didn't see a lot of. And then all of a sudden in one game, he burst out almost out of nowhere. He caught that long touchdown pass from Aaron Rodgers out of nowhere and then kind of went back into almost disappeared, disappeared yeah. again. Um, and, and I guess he probably disappeared again, partly because he, well, I guess mainly because he didn't see much of the much of the field because that was the time that Christian Watson was starting to, to come through. I think certainly when he caught that long, long pass from Rogers, and I can't remember which game it was in, we probably all thought, oh, I like that. Let's see more of this guy. But that just wasn't to be. My big thing with that catch was the adjustment. I thought this is what the Packers needed out of any receiver at that point was to adjust his route and be able to get into space. And that's what he did. But then, yeah, then he just went away. He had four targets. One catch in that game was against Buffalo. Buffalo, okay. He then had four targets the next week against Detroit in the 15-9 loss. And then he had one target the rest of the season after that. So after week nine, he had one target in the Chicago game. What does that say about Samari Toure going forward? I don't know. You know, can he be a special teams guy, right? You have to start thinking about can he return kicks and punts? I don't know. As a seventh-round pick, he got into games. He made an impact in the one game, even though the Packers lost. I don't know what more you can expect out of a guy that's drafted in the seventh round. I'm going to yeah, give him a C+. Plus. I think that's exactly right. And, I, yeah, I mean, I, I'm kind of in that area, C. Just trying to think about whether there were any undrafted free agents that that did significant time or did anything special. I can't think of any off the top of my head. No. There were no Chris Barnes-type seasons where a guy came in undrafted and did something great. Mm-mm. Before we go, Peter, I forgot about this until right now, and I got to tell you. So we have some amazing people that listen to us, right? One of them is Do You Rant out of the UP. So last week, Todd and I, 13, was Chester Marco for us. So Do You Rant sends me a message on Twitter, and thank you, Do You Rant, by the way. You're awesome. Chester Marco and Do You Rant's dad ice fished in the UP <laughs> together and do you rant was he was telling me I don't want to go too far into your personal stuff Dwayne but he said that Chester Markle took a picture of a fish that his dad caught and it's a cherished memory of Dwayne's so that's cool right that Very Chester cool. Markle took Markle took a picture of your dad out ice fishing on you know Lake Superior or something like that like that's cool to have that this guy who he's kind of famous in Packer lore, right? Because of yep. that Very. touchdown that yep. he ran back to have him in your life. Do you ran also reminded me that uh, they have Hillsdale does have a college football team still. Yeah. And that's cool. And that's cool to have a, almost a story behind the story of the photo, you know, yeah. an extra story behind that. That's very cool. Absolutely. And so do you rant was like, yeah, I saw that uh, kick that Marco didn't make and then ran in in a bar in the UP. Now, I don't know how old you are, Dwayne, but like 
in the UP, you can be like 16 in the bar. So you can still be a young guy and have watched uh, Chester Marco run it in in 1980. I could still see Chester Marco sprinting into the end zone. Yes. Yes. <laughs> High off his ass. With, the, with, with those glasses, as you guys talked about last week. Exactly. Part of it, right? Looking like Marvin yeah. the Martian or whatever, running down the field with his one-bar helmet. Yep. Yeah. And for those of you that don't know, if you go and look at, and I don't even know where he's playing now, Rodrigo Blankenship. Okay. Played at, played, at, played at Georgia and then played at Indianapolis, I think. Looked exactly the same. Had those big glasses. That's, that's what Chester Marco looked like. Thanks for listening to episode 114. For the Irish Cheese Podcast, the Don he- <laughs> the Don Hudson episode. Go back, go, go back, go.